to bring truth to us this morning. Uh, as I prayed earlier, God, we need you. Uh, our world needs you. And God, I know you have something for us today. And so I pray that you would speak through your servant, uh, use him in a mighty way, um, strengthen him, encourage him, give him boldness. God, and let us hear. Let us hear and obey to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, y'all. I hope you've had a good week. I hope Jesus has been in the center of it. And if he hasn't been, I hope that the change happens right now. Apparently, we didn't release our kids, but they're released anyway. Y'all go have fun. And, uh, you know, I love this about our kids and our children's ministry. They will have fun, but that's not the primary thing. It's Jesus. That's the most important thing. And here's where you come into that picture, because we're left with parents, grandparents, those who will one day be parents, those who help parent, those who are not even their kids, because we all need help. But this is the question that I began with for all of us in this room. In your household, who is responsible for the spiritual growth of your family? Because it's important. I read a study this last week, Barna Research does surveys and stuff literally all the time. And the question was asked, who is responsible for the spiritual growth in your family? 99% of Protestants, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, say that, well, it's the parents. Now, in that same study, the second most important part was the church. Interesting in that same study was the third part was school. I would certainly hope so, but I'm not dependent there right now. And then the fourth part was the Christian friends that you were around. Uh, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here and just guess that most of you in this room, because of where you are today, you would answer quite similarly to what they answered on the Barna Research survey that they did, that the parents were the ones who were primarily responsible for the spiritual growth that was going on in their life. But here's the question that I've got for you that honestly I've got for me too, and it's this. Do we actually take that responsibility? I'm not asking if we believe it ought to be that way. I'm asking, do we take that responsibility that God has given to us? Because it was given back in Genesis. To lead, to love, to guide, to press in the right direction. Now, the way that I think we kind of establish and discover is that where we are is we have to ask a question of what we do with our time and what we allow with the time in our families. Uh, do we actually disciple now in our minds when we when we say that word we think only one thing we think that we are sitting down with some kind of bible study or just with the bible and we're sitting down with our kids or with our spouse and that is what discipleship is now i'm not saying it's not an important part of it it's a it's a vital part of it but it is so far from all of it it's the discipleship that's supposed to be happening. Well, you'll understand in a minute 
the when, the where, the how, and the whole picture of the whole thing, that is what it will look like. But just ask this question of your own family. And, and I know this is personal, and I have not been reading your emails, but I, this is it's just real stuff in our families today, okay? So you don't have to come and ask me that today because it's not true. When it comes to, let's say, phone, let's say, social media time, how much time, how much of that time would actually encourage our spouses and our kids to go deeper with Jesus? Because I can just tell you what it does for me. It's like one in a hundred on the uh, X factor now. Only one in a hundred that I'll see something that encourages me towards Jesus. I don't know about all the rest of them right now because I've taken a lot of breaks, but that one, well, it seems like it's about one thing. And it's not about Jesus. How about this? When it comes to, uh, and again, it's just real, and I've, Beth and I had to deal with this with our children but what about uh, sports, band, drama, dance, cheer clubs? These things can be amazing, and I probably skipped out something that your kids are doing today. And those things can build a lot of character and teach you how to work on a team and teach you how to, be, to, to work towards a goal and to get really, really good at something. But the one thing that I've learned, and I'm watching even more and more over time, is time. Because they used to require a couple of hours after school, three, four, five days a week. But now it includes Sundays, it includes most nights, it includes Wednesday nights. And if necessary, it'll even take your Sunday mornings. We probably have people that are regular solid rock grovers that are somewhere today chasing one of these things with their kids. Because it is the only time that they could do it. It's because the only time it was still available because everything else had already taken everything else and I'm just telling you if you give them a second they're not going to take a second they're going to take the year or three years they're going to take it all so they're getting good at something but is there a limit and what's the cost I'm not saying don't do it I'm just saying what's the cost and don't forget about their friends. I mean, you want your kids to have friends. You want them to teach. You want to teach them to be social human beings, to be able to work and live with other people. You want that. But by the time you add all of these things together, in the midst of the hobbies and the sports and, and maybe even work for your older children, screen time, there needs to be some family time. I remember growing up in my house and, and, you know, it's been a few years since my mom cooked supper for me as a teenager. But it was a requirement. We had to meet around the table. And the closest statistic I could find on this was, was about 18 years ago. And 35% of Christian families spend at least two to three meals together a week, and that could be as short as 10 to 15 minutes. So what do we do with this? How do we find out what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be teaching it, what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to affect our kids so that, so that when our kids are finally on their own, they're not by themselves. 
They're dependent on Christ. They're leaning on Jesus for everything. How do we get them there? So, shooting straight with you, I was, uh, I was so convicted last week. I was so overcome by the power of the Word last week and the way that it not only taught us, but it took us back into what we've been talking about for the last five or six weeks uh, with Moses and the Israelites. And, and I had determined that in this new series, I was going to be talking about family that I, I wasn't going to hang out in the Old Testament. I was going to bring us back to the New Testament. And we are going to spend some time in the New Testament. But after I worked on it all last week, the one thing I realized at the end of the week is that I had to start with the Old Testament again. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we are going to start. But this is the passage that my family needs to hear. It's the, family that, it's the, the passage that your family needs to hear. It's the one that all followers of Christ need to hear because it is the starting point. Here's where it starts, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. These are the commands, the decrees, the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Well, guess who's doing this? This is Moses. He's been given these words. He's sharing it with the Israelites. He says this, you must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And if you obey all his decrees and his commands, you will enjoy a long life. Now he goes on, he says this, listen closely, and look at that, listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. And then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So literally, we're talking about the promised land again. We're talking about how we get there. We're talking about how this all happens. And the Word, the Holy Bible that we treasure so much that, that should be such an intricate, everyday, momentary by momentary part of our lives, that Bible gives us the, the word, the commands from God. The question is, what do we do with them? Because a lot of us are familiar with them, but what do we do with them? Our responsibility, and I'm talking to parents right now specifically, our responsibility is to obey what God has already taught us and to keep learning so that he can keep sanctifying, keep making us who he wants us to be. So, in order for us to pass this down, it first has to start with us. We have to trust it. We have to own it. We have to, to realize he's talking to us first. And he goes on, he says, fearing the Lord is the right way that leads us to obey him. So it's the right kind of fear, recognizing him, one that he loves us and he, he's crazy about us. He wants to have this relationship with us, but, but we do have to obey him. He is God and we are not. And then he goes on the same passage, obeying his commands gives us a long life. Just doing what he says. It can save our lives. Uh, the other thing that I see there is obedience to the word can only then be reflected to our children. 
So once we own it, once it's overtaken us, then we can press that on to the people that we love so much, the kids that we've given life and birth to, that Christ formed in the mother's womb, that God formed in the mother's womb. So obedience to the word is then given, reflected to our children. I don't want us to get tired of this. I don't want it to become just the thing that we do, but we're about to read one of the most important passages in Scripture. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. It's called the Shema in Hebrew. It means, listen, hear this. I want to make sure we hear this. I want to make sure we listen to this. I want to ask you to stand with me right now. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I hope you're following along with me in this very moment. If not, it'll, it'll be on the screen, and uh, you can follow along there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of the house and on your gates. Father, apply this to our hearts. Help us realize how vital your word is for us and for our families. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want to dig deep into this for a little bit, and I want to give us some practical application of how this actually can transform your family. He says first in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one, as some translations say. Who is Israel in this picture? Well, it's God's chosen people. Guess what? He was, they were God's chosen people then. They are God's chosen people now. That's why Israel is such a big deal for the followers of Christ. That's why that little tiny nation in the midst of the largest Muslim population in the world still stands. God's chosen people. It says uh, the Lord is our God. The word there is Yahweh. Uh, He is our God, the leader of us, the Lord of us. And then he says, he is the one God. And the clarification is the one and only God. That's why when we go to um, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. And that's a little g, for the Lord is God. It's clarifying there's no other God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. 
Just a quick question, does that sound familiar? It should, because it's repeated multiple times in the Old Testament and multiple times in the New Testament. He says, uh, he says to love him with all your heart. What is your heart? Is it really this odd-shaped organ that pumps blood? It is. But that is not what he's talking about. Your heart is the center of you. It's the center of your personality. It controls your intellect, your emotions, and your will. It's the control center. It's the, it's the living computer in you that directs everything else. And he says to love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says to love him with all your soul. Well, your soul is several different things, but your soul, first of all, is the, the, the physical life, the breath that he puts in you. It's, it's the fact that you have life. It is, uh, it, it is also, though, your eternal spiritual life. Because whether it's for Christ or whether it's against Christ, you have an eternal life. You have a soul that will live forever. It will either be in heaven with Jesus or it will be in hell separated from Jesus for eternity based on the fact of you trusting Christ by grace through faith alone or denying him for eternity. That's the choice that we all have to make, but that's the soul that lives in us. And he wants us to love him alone with all of our soul. The last one that he gives here is our strength. It's the, it's the power that we have that is not of us. It's what he gives us. It's, uh, it's the emotion that he gives us, and it's, the, it's, where we, it's where we let the power of that emotion go. Some of us are letting our emotions go and take us down a deep hole right now. He wants that emotion to take us to him. He wants that emotion. He wants us physically. He wants the strength, the, 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 the physical strength that we had to be used for his glory. He wants the, the, the spirituality that the Lord gives us. He wants it all for his glory. Every single bit of it. Now, if you go on to verse 6, he says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. So God has given God has given us these abilities. So God has to be the one that we give ourselves to completely. He has to be the one. He is a jealous God. He says, no other gods before me. And I'll be honest, the first time I ever heard this song, I kind of struggled with it. I will make room for you. You just sang the song. I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. I it's pretty easy to clarify exactly what he's talking about there. Especially when we read a passage like this. Well, what are we supposed to make room for? Him in every part of our lives. Our heart, our soul, as Jesus says, our mind, and also our strength. Every part of us, Jesus. It's not compartmentalized so that Jesus doesn't enter some of these parts. So to make room for him is to open it all up for him. Verse 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. Why do you have to repeat them again and again to your children? Because we forget them too. So do your children. Clean up your room. How many times do you have to tell them? Again and again. So the good stuff like this, you especially have to tell them again and again. 
And then he says, talk about them when you were at home and when you were on the road. What does that mean? Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road? That means, yes. You talk about them, yes, while you're at home. Yes, while you're on vacation. Yes, when you're going to school. Yes, when you're going to work. You take advantage of the opportunities in a natural way as they come. And then he goes on, he says, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Talk about these things, the truths, the commands of God, the truth of God's word. Let it be a natural thing. It becomes part of who you are. So who is supposed to repeat these truths? He's talking to parents. He's talking to us. Now my my parents are getting old, but so are my kids getting old. 28, 27, and 23 for a few more minutes. And... Guess what we still get to do? We get to talk about these things. And we get to talk about these things not only because they learned them here at the Grove through incredible teachers like you, but because we also talked about them at home. And now I think we get to talk about them more and more and more, so take advantage now. And you know this. You can't depend on anyone else to do this. I mean... I certainly hope that it happens at the Grove, and it should be. It better be happening. But parents, we are responsible for teaching our kids. Your Christian school is not good enough. Even your church is not good enough. You are responsible for teaching your kids. And notice that the Lord was speaking to Israel, God's chosen people. These are no different than the families in Israel today who are facing uh, inhumane hatred from another faith, from another people. But how will your children know this truth? We have to teach them again and again when we're at home and when we're on the road, when we're going to bed, when we're waking up. We do it naturally. We do it every moment we get. Making time with this. I mean, you can be walking down a trail. You don't have to be sitting around a table with a Bible. You can be walking around a trail. You can be walking around a park. You can be driving to Grandma's house. You can be going to school. I cannot tell you through the years how many times a mother led their kid to Christ in a conversation going or coming from school or from a practice of some kind because they took advantage of the opportunity that was right there to talk about the thing that was most important in their life that would be most important in their kid's life. It matters more than anything else. Verse 8, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on the tops of your gates. I just want to be super clear on this. God has not given us limitations on how we can communicate this with our children. These are not the few places where you can put these things. I mean, I have a a little rubber bracelet on my hand right now, and it's got uh, Luke 137, and it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. It's tied on my wrist. I'm a fairly mature believer. I know in whom I believe and that he is able to the end, but I need to be reminded. I remember and I go through our student ministry often and they wear these shirts that very explicitly talk about Christ. Why? Well, it's not just for everybody else. It's to remind them. 
Well, they're not wearing it on their wrist. You're right. They're not wearing it around their forehead. You're right. They're wearing it across their chest. It's a reminder for them. Write it on the front of your notebook of your chemistry, you know, of your science. It might be a really good place to write it there because they might try to teach you things that are opposed to God's word. Write down who the creator is as you're there. And parents, remind your kids of this. These things are just to get you started so that it's on your mind, on your heart all the time. Yes, teach this to your children. Do whatever it takes to help them fall deeper in love with Jesus and to learn and to obey his word. But don't forget, first, you've got to own it. First, you've got to trust Christ. You can't give away what you do not possess yourself. So start there and then pass it on. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. I just told you that we, we read a prayer that's actually a Jewish prayer. It's from Judaism. It's from the, the Torah. It's called the Shema. It begins with that word. It literally means make sure you hear this. It's kind of if you don't hear anything else, hear this. And we sometimes we hear things, but we don't listen. Well, in the connotation, the, the huge definition of the word Shema, it doesn't just mean hear. It means listen so that you will understand. Listen so that it becomes part of who you are, that it becomes part of your life, that it's a, a vital thing that you have to get. So I don't know if you really get what the Lord's saying here, but he wants you to hear and get and understand and listen and apply this to your life. How significant is it? Well, it's recorded again in Mark. It's recorded again in Matthew. And then another man answers it in the book of Luke. The first two come from Jesus. And Jesus quotes what God told Moses in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. See it on the screen. See it on your outline. Read it from your own word. And Jesus replied. He was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus replied, and he said, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is, one and is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Quote, unquote. Deuteronomy chapter 6. When Jesus answered this question with the Shema prayer, I see three vital statements that you and I need to cling to. I hope that you will take these in. Jesus, first of all, is talking about the Lord, and he says, the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. My emphasis is on your God, because I think that's his emphasis here. Jesus is saying the Lord is your God. And he's talking to people who would say they have faith, just like I'm talking to people who would say they have faith in Christ. And whether we realize it, whether we accept it, whether we deny it, he alone is Lord. He is he's your creator. He gave you your first breath. He controls your last breath. So whether we accept it or deny it, he is the only way. He is the way to salvation. Drew and I were talking Thursday 
uh, before we left Thursday afternoon. And we say this so often. We say something very similar. You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And he was sharing with me from a conference that he had gone to or a, a, a camp that he had been to here years ago. And the camp pastor at that thing said, the truth is, Jesus is Lord of your life. The question is, will you let him be Lord of your life? He is Lord, but will you let him be Lord of your life? That can be life-changing. Second one is this. The Lord God is the most important person in our lives. I want to encourage you not just to think about making room for Him. I want you to move over and let Him have it. That's what He wants from me and you. He wants to be... He wants all of your heart. He didn't want a little piece of it. He wants all of your heart which kind of takes us to the third thing your complete devotion to him is the most important of the commandments love the lord your god it's where it all starts he created us because he wants us to know his love but he also wants us to love him in return he desires to be lord of your soul he wants to be Lord of your mind. He wants to be Lord of my mind and my soul and my heart. He, want, he desires all of your strength, all of your abilities to go to him for his glory. Every bit of it. So what do our families need to be hearing right now? If we're going to apply this to our life, this is going to be us. What do our families need to be hearing right now? Here's, here's, what, I, here's what I'm realizing, and you know this too. Coming off of the, the news and social media and all this kind of stuff now, even from our friends, there is so much more bad news than there is good news. I think it's like a million to one. I'm not sure, but it's pretty close to that. And, and, and it's bad news in places that we never even thought we might see bad news. I mean, war terrorism... You can't miss it now. Uh, confusion, misinformation, messed up families, anger, disease, pain, tears, etc., etc., etc. It's everywhere, and I see no mistake in what the Lord led me to share with you this day the Shema prayer. Prayed every day to this day by the Orthodox Jews and the Messianic Jews. It's a prayer of acknowledgement that all of us need to be praying every day. It's a reminder to teach and to encourage and to talk about God's truth from his word. It's a reminder to take the responsibility that God has given us as parents to lead our families to depend on the Lord. Not just when life gets tough, but 100% of the time. For the Israelites, for the Jewish people today it's a prayer to remind them that God is their comfort even when misguided religious extremists do all they can to destroy them it's a reminder that the Jews are not the only followers of God who fall under the derogatory title of the infidel according to the Quran which says that all Jews should be destroyed as well as all followers of God which you anyone who will not bow down to Allah 
we should be aware of this. So what do our families need to hear? What's going to help them when we realize this really is a holy war? How do we help our children not live in fear? How do we not live in fear? And so just a couple of scripture passages, and then it's time for us just to deal with this. Uh, personally, but then with our families. John 16 and verse 22, the words of Jesus. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. We're living in that day now. Verse 23, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You ask it in the name of Jesus. You haven't done this before, asking using my name, and you will receive, or ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy yeah we need to be teaching our children that kind of stuff matter of fact we probably need to know that ourselves psalm 112 verse 7 the psalmist says this they do not fear i love the way this says this they do not fear bad news they confidently trust the lord to care for them they don't fear the bad news they trust the lord uh haggai 2 and verse 5 says my spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. This is the prophet talking way, way towards the end of the Old Testament. Yet he reminds them to look back. The same God that took you out of Egypt has still got you today. Depend on him. The last one, Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. Back to where we started. Shema started in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail nor abandon you. And if you'll pay attention to that, you will notice that Jesus quotes that again in the New Testament. Do not fear. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Those words are actually Moses' words to Joshua. Moses knows he's about to die. He knows Joshua's about to take over. And as he prepares to take the Israelites to the promised land, these are the words that God gives him. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Here's the amazing thing that we can know. If our faith is in Christ alone, think back to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We know we can completely trust the Lord. We don't have to doubt. And if we completely trust the Lord, we do not have to fear whether we live or die. And we get to go to the promised land because of Christ in us. Not because we're so good, but because of what Christ did for us. Knowing Christ always has to be rule number one in your life. Knowing Christ has to be the most important prerogative in your life as you raise your children because you don't want your children walking out of your house without Jesus but you have to lovingly take them there and let the Holy Spirit do his work there's joy and that kind of hope that cannot be beat so let's talk about it as we're on the road and when we're at home let's talk about it as we rise up and as we lie down let's 
put it on our wrist and tie it around our head. Let's, let's paint it on our doorpost and put it on our gates. Let's teach our families. Let's teach our friends. I found this quote. I don't know who said it, but I love the way it says, Open your ears to truly hear and your heart to truly obey what is heard. The Lord doesn't want us just to hear these things. He wants us to do these things. And it starts by trusting Him. I want to ask you to stand where you are across this room. This is an intimate, this is a personal time. If you aren't living in that place with the Lord, realizing who He is and how desperately we all need Him, I want to ask you to do what Jesus asked you to do. Repent. Change your mind. Turn around from where you are, from the sin that you know and you are aware of, the things you know that breaks the heart of God, and turn to Him. Trust Him by grace through faith in the Son of God. He wants you. He desires you. And the other side is not an option. It's death and separation and hell, and you want Christ, I promise you. And then you want to pass that on to your kids. And we have a responsibility to do that, parents. It's not an option. I don't feel like I know enough. Keep learning. Share what you know. Start there. The altar's going to be open. Drew will be here. I will be here. If you need to talk, talk. If you need to go make something right with somebody else in this room, go make something right with somebody in this room. By the power of the Holy Spirit leading you, you listen to Him. Father, we need you. We cannot do this alone. We realize you as holy God. And I pray that we give ourselves to you. In every way, all of us, to all of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If the Holy Spirit's leading you, you come right now.